It's Amy's Table, a girl's guide to living with Amy Tobin on Q102. Pull up a chair and join us. Kathleen Purvis is the food editor of the Charlotte Observer. She's president of the Association of Food Journalists and a longtime member of the Southern Foodways Alliance and the James Beard Foundation. She's the author of three books, Pecans and Bourbon, and her latest, Distilling the South. And she's joining me today to talk about this gorgeous book, Distilling the South, A Guide to Southern Craft Liquors and the People Who Make Them. Kathleen, welcome to Amy's Table. Thank you so much for having me. Well, It's exciting well, to talk to you. It's exciting to talk to you, too, but you had to have worked really hard visiting 50 craft distilleries in 11 southern states. That was tough. Uh, <laughs> while doing a full-time job as a newspaper reporter. <laughs> yeah. How'd you do it? I didn't take a vacation for 14 months. <laughs> and it actually was, I think it was my final total of the ones I visited just for this project was like 54. So wow. I narrowed it down to 52 great ones. Because we knew going into it that there there's such huge growth in craft distilling yes. that there was no way we could visit them all. I mean, I think when I sat down to make the original plan, uh, late 2015, there were something like 240 distilleries across those 11 states. And so I had to immediately say, okay, how am I going to, you know, chop this down to something that's doable but also brings the most meaning to people who might be out there either trying to discover the South through a, a unique lens or trying to discover more about how these things are made and what distilleries do. Well, I'll tell you what, you've covered it all in this. It's kind of amazing. And craft is a funny word, isn't it? You know, it is. It, that was in, in coming up with my list, that was one of the first beers I had to wrestle was what the heck does craft mean? And so uh, what and did that you is determine? One of those words that's still being debated around yeah. the food world right now in a lot of different contexts. Um you know, the artisan food movement, some people call it, the local food movement, has brought us this um, sort of explosion in America of individually made small batch foods, and but craft doesn't actually have a definition. So you have to, it's almost one of those, you know, like the pornography thing, you know it when you see it kind of yes. thing. But I also had to kind of set up a framework for myself and say, okay, I'm looking for places that meet this kind of description, um, you know, and, and I'm kind of happy that it's not defined because it does allow us a lot of room to look at what people are doing and figure out how does this fit into our lives and, and what's emotionally resonant for us with the foods that are being made. Well, and it's funny because craft in in my world is also a funny thing, and, and I'm going to get this in a there in a long roundabout way. When artisan was used everywhere, I had a guest on my show, I think about a year ago, and he was making fun in not a very nice way <laughs> about being at a restaurant and the menu said artisan cheese and there was artisan bread and there were artisan beets and there was artisan steak and there was artisan... And he's like, really? Really? What does that all mean? And then mm-hmm. craft... There is craft, 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 craft. And as you said, small batch. And, you know, it's like, what does it really mean? And is it a badge of honor? Is it, um, you know, a marketing term? Is it what is it really? And I think you're right. It's not defined, but I, I hope it's well used. And I said to you before we went on the air, I was excited on page 107 of Distilling the South. You mentioned New Rift Distilling, which is the distillery at which I work for. And we are on the craft trail 
but we're not exactly sure we should be on the craft trail because we are so much bigger than most of the craft distilleries. We're so much smaller than the heritage distilleries. So it's like, where does craft fit with us? You know what I mean? It's, it's an interesting thing. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and any, any term in food, and, you know, I've been writing about food for, Lordy, 30 years. Yeah. Um, any term can get corrupted as it goes along um, by marketing. But I also think that both, that craft particularly still, it still has the sense of a small group controlled by a single owner making something in smaller batches that is an expression of their own creativity. That yeah. is, at, its, at the end of the day, that's what you hope craft is. Yeah, that's now, course, beautifully you know, said. Because it's, because it's not a legislated term. Now, you know, I mean, we'd be going off topic a bit, but you look at how the, the term organic got so complicated when we tried to legally define it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, this, and so I kind of hope in a way that we don't do that with craft, that we let the consumer make the decision what fits for them, and what feels like something personal for them. Yeah. Because what I loved about these distilleries was the personal aspect of it. Yes, absolutely. The way people, are, people are making things that are an expression of their own creativity, but also a lot of them, the best ones that I found, are making things that are an expression of where they live the history of where they live, the traditions of where they live, but also you see a lot of use of locally grown ingredients. A lot of, you know, farm to flask, some people call it, or grain to glass, Mm -hmm. you know, where they're working with local farms to grow the things that they're using and then turning those into liquors that some of them are getting big, as you said, with new riffs. There's some some large but still very craft places out there. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of them have wider distributions than others. Um, some of them, you're only going to experience them if you go to the place where they're made or somewhere around it. Others are getting so getting such a cult following that you're really starting to see them nationally. Um, I, I travel to New York fairly frequently on business, and sitting in bourbon bars in New York, I was always really fascinated in the last couple of years to see the number of Southern um, distillers, craft distillers, who are showing up behind those bars in New York. Isn't that Corsair amazing? Corsair in Tennessee. You yeah. Know, you're going to see that that very distinctive Corsair logo is turning up. Copper Fox in Virginia. Um, you know, you're, you're really starting to see these things getting attention nationally if they can manage the distribution. Well, of course, you got to see all of these things. And, and you, you did you go region by region? Like, did you go in a linear fashion or did you go where your schedule allowed you to go? And, and what did you see the differences were between the southern states that you visited well, uh, yeah, I sort of did. I mean, I tend to be a very methodical person. Um, I, I actually started out with Virginia, which would be the sort of furthest north of the states that I covered. And being in North Carolina, um, that was pretty easy for me to reach. Um, you know, then I, I worked out my way around North and South Carolina throughout my research because that's where I live and it's easy to get to. And then I started kind of going counterclockwise and I put off my very furthest trip, um, to Louisiana and Mississippi for the very last because <laughs> <laughs> that one was a little harder to reach, but oh, so much fun. Um, the other trick, of course, in doing all of this is I had to figure out the liquor regulations in 11 southern states, which, wow. and, and they are a moving target right now. There yes. Were, 
in fact, we there was such a big change in one particular rule in North Carolina just as I was turning my manuscript that my editor and I kind of had to go, okay, we're going to have to wait for the North Carolina legislature to vote on this and then go back and, and slip in a change. And there have been changes in the rules already since the book was printed, which I tried to kind of alert people to expect things to change because this is a very rapidly growing industry. Sure is, yeah. So, yeah. wow, that what an education. You didn't expect a legal education in all of that as well, but... Yeah, you're <laughs> telling me. <laughs> so what did you yeah. discover? You know, were, the, were, the, were there overarching similarities in the different regions, or over, were they radically different? I mean, what, what did you see? You know, um, one of the things that really stood out to me is when you, when you just sit there and look at the map of where the distilleries are located in the South, it's really eye-catching when you notice how Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina are huge and growing rapidly. And as you go further west, i.e. further along the, the notches of the, of the Bible Belt, frankly, mm-hmm. you see fewer and fewer distilleries. And you see them changing much later than the others. So like Mississippi at that time had three. Virginia, I had to sort between like 45. Wow. You know, it's, it's remarkable. And of course, all of those things have reasons in history. You know, we in the South have had some uneasy relationships with making of alcohol. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, we got your moonshine history. And of course, that plays a big role anywhere in the South where you have mountainous regions because people went to places where they could kind of hide away. Um, from regulation, from taxation, and that goes back to the American Revolution. Um, you know, good old Hamilton on Broadway yeah. actually played a role in some of that. The Whiskey Rebellion in Pennsylvania that drove farmers down into the interior of the South so that they could do things where they weren't necessarily going to be slapped with so many regulations and money. Exactly. Well, this is such a great book. I mean, honestly, whether you're interested in the travel side, the history side, the trend side, there's cocktails, there's stories about the people behind them. This is really a comprehensive book, and I'm, I'm very impressed by it. And Kathleen, I'm so glad you could join me today on Amy's Table. Again, the book is Distilling the South, A Guide to Southern Craft Liquors and the People Who Make Them by Kathleen Purvis. And Kathleen, do you have a link for the book or anything that I can share? There is. Uh, you can find me on, uh, I have actually KathleenPurvis.com. Um, and I, I keep, uh, you know, events, signings, place, things that I'm going to do. And you can also link through to... Um, the UNC uh, Press, which is my publisher, to buy the book that way. Um, you also might always encourage people, since it is a national publisher, go to your independent bookstores, please. Uh, always you, a you good can get thing. get them anywhere, and I love to support independent bookstores. Me too. Joseph Beth Booksellers here in Cincinnati. That's a great thing. Thank you, Kathleen. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on Amy's Table. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Amy's Table, a girl's guide to living with Amy Tobin on Q102. For more, visit Amy's blog with Q102 online at WKRQ.com.